0: bond um, in worship a little bit later on. But we're looking at tonight at Psalm uh, 73. I I began a a short series on the Psalms back in the summer. And uh, either I haven't been preaching much in the evenings, but I've still got a few to come. So it might be Christmas by the time we finish them. And I love the Psalms. Um, uh, I love reading the Psalms and singing the Psalms. Part of the reason I love reading the Psalms is because they're just so, so um, down to earth. You know, uh, the writers of the Psalms have no problems pouring out their hearts to God. And whether it's in worship or whether it's uh, having a good old moan or a grumble or a complaint. And, uh, and some of the Psalms are songs of the night and, and they're quite desperate. And, and you hear the reality of these godly uh, people struggling with how to... Um, Maintain faith in the middle of the circumstances they're in. And then there are the wonderful psalms that are just so full of praise, and we often use them as call to worship, because, yeah, get on your feet, praise God. And that's good as well. But tonight we're going to look at a psalm um, that contains the kind of questions that maybe you never ask in your Christian life. um, The kind of why and what questions Why is this happening? What are you doing, God? And we will follow a story, a journey uh, through this psalm together. So if you'd like to turn to it, it's Psalm 73, if you want to follow it in your own Bibles. Or we have uh, church Bibles um, tucked away under the welcome table if you want to have a Bible in front of you. Otherwise, the words will appear on the screen. It's a psalm of Asaph. And we're going to read the whole lot. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. And evil conceits out of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. And their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. And they say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Until I entered the sanctuary of God... Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors as a dream when one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever. And those who are far from you will perish. And you destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. It's quite a thing, isn't it? Have you ever asked the why questions and the what questions? If God is so good, why does he allow all the things that he seems to? Why does this holy, just God allow the wicked to prosper? Why does he allow the baddies to win? Why does he allow the good sometimes to suffer? Heard a few of those this week. Talking to one of our members. Why has God brought me to this place just to experience this? Why are those people so nasty? Or reading between the lines of the newspapers, why were they allowed to get away with it? for so long what is God doing if you read it in Eugene Peterson's message version I I love it especially if you read it as a commentary He, he, he translates this bit as, what's going on is God out to lunch no one's looking after the shop If you've never asked those questions, well, tonight is not for you. You can go to sleep quite happily. I'll wake you up in a few minutes' time. But most of us, if we were honest, at some point in our lives and in our Christian lives, we do ask these questions of God. It's not that we're doubting God's plan or goodness, although sometimes we are, but sometimes we just want to say, What are you doing? And it's often, interestingly enough, in the struggles with these things and the questions that our faith deepens and grows and matures. See, the worst things that you can do with these kind of questions is bury them and say, Well, I'm a Christian, I can't ask these things. Well, of course we can. And that's why the Psalms are so brilliant. Well, someone else asked before us. Psalm 73. This poem, this song, written by this man, Asaph, who, uh, as far as we can tell, uh, was a worship leader or the temple poet there in Jerusalem. He's credited for a number of the Psalms, as is David and others. And he felt exactly like that. He tells us at the very beginning of this Psalm that he came within a hair's breadth of giving it all up together. Just abandoning his faith all together. As for my feet, I'd almost slipped, I nearly lost my foothold. Yet if you get to the end, because you have to get to the end of the Psalms, his testimony at the end is that he felt closer to God than ever before. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of his deeds. I will testify of what he has done. So how does he get from that beginning to that end? Well, firstly, we identify the problem, which gives rise to his questions, his doubting. It, it arises out of the seeming contradiction, because maybe, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of um, taking a guess here, but maybe he's planning the worship for the weekend. And he's going through the songs, and he's thinking, yeah, that's a brilliant song. But suddenly he's struck how can I sing these songs when this is going on in my life, in the world around me? It seems a contradiction. Because he starts, this is thing. Surely God is good to Israel and those who are pure in heart. See, that's, that's the truth. God is good to Israel and those who are pure in heart. It was an affirmation that any faithful Jew of his day would have made. And we as Christians would echo that. God is good to his people and blesses those who are pure in heart. But as he looked around, he saw things didn't quite square up. In fact, he saw the opposite. He saw that the prosperity that he saw around us was not for the pure in heart, but the wicked. The wicked were prospering. And as he looked at them, they seemed to sail through life. They seemed to have no struggles. They're healthy, they're strong, they're free from burdens. And he's struggling with what he knows to be right and true, but with what is going on around him. And not only that, these people are lording it over others and nothing bad seems to happen to them. They're ruthless, they're cruel, they intimidate others, they oppress people and they're not called to account. In fact, the opposite is true. They're even admired by the people around. And they even ridicule God. They say God's irrelevant. Or probably doesn't exist. And all that talk of judgment is just so out of date. It's an embarrassment in today's age of tolerance and the time the psalmist was writing. How relevant is that today? And the arrogant say nothing is bad nothing bad is going to happen to us. And as far as he can see, he has to agree with them. Nothing ever seems to. They just seem to get richer and richer. And the poor get poorer and poorer. The question he's grappling with, how can God let them get away with it? And we grapple with the same thing in the news that we've heard recently. Abusers and Not caught, not brought to justice. And whether it's other crimes that are not dealt with, or drug dealers living it up in South America, or once vicious dictators survive justice to live to a ripe old age in spite of all their cruelty. It seems so wrong. And and deep within, we just say, it's wrong. We want justice. But it's suddenly become a crisis to this man. And it, he doesn't spell out why it's become a crisis. But something, we have a clue in verses 13 and 14, something has touched his life. Suffering of some kind has called at his door. And in now it has become a spiritual problem. And this is what happens sometimes in our lives. If we were really honest. We hear of things going on all the time in the world... And we do, we react, and we respond, and we watch the news, and we, and we say, God, will you do something? But when it comes and knocks at our door, it becomes a spiritual problem. Yes, we are concerned for the world in which we live. Yes, we are concerned for our neighbors and our communities. But when it comes very close, and knocks at our door, or upon our children, or upon our parents, or upon our families, or upon our marriage, or upon our standard of living, then we ask, God, what are you doing? Why? Why should I suffer? Why should I be poor? Why should I be sick? And to his credit, and to our benefit, the psalmist doesn't jack it all in. He takes it to God. This is the theme again and again when you read through the psalms. They may have a, some of them start really badly, don't they? You start reading them, you think, "Oh gosh," but they hang on in there, and they grapple with God. And they just pour out their heart to God. And suddenly he realizes what's going on. Actually, part of the problem is in himself. He tells us in verse 3 I envied, I envied the prosperous. And now that he's suffering, when he tries to understand, it becomes oppressive to him. That's verse 16. When he tries to, because sometimes we do that, we try and sort it out and say, all right, I'm going to understand what God is really up to now. And if I could understand it, you know, I would be happier in my heart and soul. And he says, as he tries to understand it, it becomes oppressive to him. Eugene Peterson, again, helpfully translates, when I tried to figure it out, all I got was a splitting headache. Brilliant. And the devil has a field day at those moments, doesn't he? That's when he comes in and says, I say, you believe in this good God, do you? How can you believe in a God who allows this and this and this and this? How can you trust God who allows this and this and this and this? And he comes to it himself in a way. He almost says, what's the point of keeping my heart pure? I don't get the rewards. Maybe we've felt like that. Maybe in business, you know, if, if, you, if you're in or in your workplace, and you are there trying to do it as a Christian, and you won't cut corners, and you won't lie, and you won't deceive, and you won't take advantage and yet all you see around you are people who are doing that and they never get caught in fact they get promoted over you you get the heart of this guy and he said God and I try to keep my heart pure but he's realizing that his heart isn't so pure That was the problem. What's the solution? Well, the solution involves a different perspective. John Wesley, in his journals, recounts a meeting with a friend. It's a strange story, but I thought it applied. Who was troubled by personal trials and doubting, doubting God's goodness. And he asked John Wesley, what am I going to do with all my doubts? And they were out walking in the fields, as uh, they often did. And Wesley according to the story, pointed to a cow looking over a stone wall. Why is he looking over the wall? The man said, because he can't see through it. And Wesley said, exactly. When you can't see through something, you have to look over it. Lift your eyes. Put your focus on something other than that which is dragging you down. Because that's the thing with those kind of concerns that we have. They can eat us up. Consume us. And we have to lift our eyes. I was oppressed, he says, until... I entered the sanctuary of God. Isn't that amazing? Until he got to that place of worship. Now, I don't know what got him there to the temple or wherever he is. Perhaps he was leading worship. So that's always a hard one, isn't it? You know, if you're having a really bad week and you're leading worship on Sunday, you have to lift up your eyes. Perhaps he was preaching. See, that's even, oh dear, that's a nightmare. Perhaps he was just in the band. Perhaps he was just in the congregation. We don't know. But it's when he came to that place of worship that things begin and began to change in his heart. And that's why it's so important to come and worship God together. And he discovers three new things. A new perspective on human destiny. One of the things worship does is that we lift our eyes and we put our attention and our focus on God. And even in just the two songs that we sang at the beginning of our worship tonight, we declared that God was sovereign, that God was good, that He lavishes His grace upon us. And we begin to sing and the praise begins to rise because we're not looking at the things that are dragging us down we're looking at him who can lift us up we're looking over the wall as it were because perhaps before in his kind of wallowing that he was involved in he was at the center of it all why is it happening to me And his vision is distorted. And when we can't see through our questions, we need to look up. And he realized he was so time-bound, so earth-bound, so spiritually short-sighted. He wants these problems that he had seen and the difficulties that he had seen and even the injustices that he had seen. When he saw them in heaven's perspective, they changed. And when the media says someone has escaped justice, and we say, no, they haven't. None of us escaped justice because we will all stand before Jesus. All of us. And whether people get away with things in life. They have to stand before God. And we don't always have heaven's perspective, do we? We don't see the whole picture. And the story's not over yet like the parable that Jesus tells about the rich man who, who just had so much and he thought, what am I going to do with all this stuff? I'm going to make room for more and more and more and more and then he dies. Jesus calls him a fool. You fool. I know and certainly, I'm not, I'm not a great preacher on judgment, although I think it's important that we preach on it. And as we preach through the Scriptures, judgment comes up regularly. God is a God of justice. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace. And that's our focus, but it is a kingdom of justice. That's why we need grace. And the fact remains that it is real. That this life, however long we have, is gone very quickly. And in eternity. With God or without God. And the man and woman of faith is the one who takes that future seriously. Jesus who, for the joy set before him, Endured this cross, scorning its shame. The Psalmist, when he worships, gets a new perspective on history. It's more than just the here and the now, it's more than just what's going around me, and not. it is eternal. Then he has a new perspective on himself because as he worships before God, to his horror, he sees himself reflected in the holiness of God. And that's always a good one, isn't it? Really encouraging. When the holiness of God just penetrates our hearts and suddenly just reveals something of ourselves. Have you ever caught yourself thinking, gosh, where did that feel? That was terrible. Why did I think that? Now I'm worried because I'm the only one who's nodding my head at that. Different perspective on himself. And he sees the sulkiness of his behavior and the childishness of his resentment and how sometimes our self-pity just is so pathetic yet so powerful at the same time. That he envied the arrogant. And in worship he discovers that he is a child of God. And he is loved. And we have the benefit above the psalmist here because when we come to worship we look to Jesus. His love and his faithfulness and his grace and his mercy and we look to the cross and know that he is always with us and always for us even if we cannot fathom it out right now. That he holds us in his hands. He guides us with his counsel. This is the testimony of this man. And afterwards, verse 24, you will take me into glory. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? Where else would I go? Again, Eugene Peterson You're all I want in heaven, and you're all I want on earth. It is this faith that can stand the test of the storms because it's a faith that grapples with the realities of what's going on. You know, if you have a faith that's just kept in a greenhouse for fear of the wind and the rain, it may look quite pretty. But it won't stand the weather. I can't say that I've ever said in my life, Jesus, I want to give it up. Partly because it took me so long to get Jesus in the first place, or him to get me. For so many years, I rubbished Jesus and faith and Christianity. I remember my pastor, when I was baptized, the first thing he asked me now, what are your doubts, Philip? And I said, I've had 19 years of doubts. Not now. But I understand that when things come knocking at the door, sometimes we feel as if we could give it all up. That's when we need to come to worship. That's when the enemy will say, don't go to worship. That's when we need to come to worship. And lift our eyes. Say, whom have I in heaven but you? Where else would I go? And we look to the cross. And we know that we are loved and we are held. He has a new perspective. And a new perspective on real values. What is the most important thing in our lives? It was a privilege to be here Saturday morning as we hosted a men's breakfast. And just heard two powerful testimonies of transformed life in two men who both said that Jesus Christ was the most important thing, person, in their lives. Above all else. Because they had come to know him and his amazing grace. It's in that worship that we find A new perspective on values yes we might need a better car or a better thing or a better something else or more of this or yeah and we can ask for those things because the lord is gracious but as jesus says in his story of the kingdom of heaven the pearl of great price that's all we need Whom have I in heaven but you? You're all I need. And so as the psalmist comes to that place of worship, he gets things right in perspective. God is good. God is with me. There is nothing I desire on earth besides him. And he has struggled through his doubts and his questions. And if you're in the middle of anything like that, I just encourage you, like this, I just keep keep going with it. But bring it to the Lord. And they may be tears. And I'm sure the psalmist shed many tears. But the reality of God and the strength of God and the faithfulness of God will be stronger than anything else around you. And so we come. And we're going to worship together. And we're going to sing of the glory and the grace of Jesus. And we're going to open our lives to him and just pour out our worship. And whether you've got those things going on in your lives, family issues, whether there's circumstances, the questions of why and what, let's bring them in worship to the Lord who loves us. So that we can say at the end of tonight, God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. And I will go and tell of what he has done. Let's just pray, and I'm just going to ask the band to come back. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for men and women of faith that have recorded their stories They've recorded your story. And we come to worship you, to bring all that we are, all that we have, to lay at your feet. And pray that you will meet with us now. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and fill our lives, our minds, our hearts, our very inner beings. And maybe there are things we need to deal with as we worship and just say, Lord, I want to bring this to you. I want to bring this to you. Let's look over the wall and see the one who loves us and has given everything for us and renew our trust in Jesus, our Savior. Lord, come and draw from us praise. In, for your glory, for your honor, for your name. Amen. Let's stand. Please feel, to, feel free to sit if you want to respond in that way. But uh, let's begin by standing.